You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, again, welcome to worship at Roswell Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to be in worship with you. We continue our sermon series looking at the life of Moses, and we're looking for certainties in uncertain times. And indeed, we do live in uncertain times. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the certainty that somebody loved us long before we ever loved them. Somebody helped us long before we ever asked for help. Somebody took care of us when we could not take care of ourselves. That's a certainty. Last week we looked at the certainty that we worship a God who interrupts. God interrupts. The question is, will we have the patience? Will we have the endurance? Will we have the foresight, the wisdom to listen, to pay attention? Because God will interrupt our lives. Well, today we're going to fast forward a few chapters into the book of Exodus to Exodus 12. Last week we saw that Moses was looking over the flocks of his father-in-law. Today we're going to see that Moses and Aaron have gone to the land of Egypt, followed God's call, and they've confronted the Pharaoh, demanding that the Pharaoh release the Israelite slaves. Hebrew folks that are captured and are enslaved. And Pharaoh resists. And so God sends ten plagues on the Egyptians, trying to force Pharaoh's hand to let them go. And what we're going to read today is a passage from Exodus 12 where God gives instructions about how to remember what God has done. It's instructions to remember. So let us listen for the word of the Lord from Exodus 12, verses 1 through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. 
The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher. That you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. That you might teach us what it means to remember. Lord, in, in remembering, it might change our present. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Remembering is hard. Don't you forget it. When I was a freshman in college, I took business calculus in Balmer Hall. I started the course like I started most of my courses, aiming to get an A. And the week came for our first exam. So on Tuesday, not, mo- not Monday, mind you, I got up early in the morning and went to a coffee shop and for some last-minute studying for that calculus exam. And when it turned about 10:15 a.m., it was time for me to go to class. So I made my way across campus, went up into the hall, walked down the hall, and the door opens, and out comes Brent Fattori. And Brent was in my class and walks by me with a smile and says, where were you? And I said, what do you mean? He says, it's over. And I'm trying to think what he's talking about. And all of a sudden it hits me. Today is Tuesday, and class begins at 9.30, not 10.30. (laughs) Yep, I missed the exam. (laughs) I had, as Roger Clemens once said, misremembered. (laughs) Do you ever find yourself misremembering? Do you find yourself forgetting? Remembering and remembering well is hard work. I once had a conversation with my dad about the Bourne Identity movies. Maybe you've seen some of them. They begin with this interesting premise that Jason Bourne is this super secret special agent. And in the first movie, in the first scene, these fishermen are going along and they find his body floating in the Mediterranean Sea. And when he comes to and comes to consciousness, what we discover is he's forgotten who he is. He cannot remember. And basically what Jason Bourne will do for the next 20 years over five movies is try to remember Remember his past. I call this genre of movie amnesia movies. My last count, I think I counted 75 amnesia movies. My dad once asked, Jeff, I know you love amnesia movies. But there's an interesting Jeff thing, Jeff. Do you, do you know anybody who's ever experienced amnesia? I thought to myself, no, I haven't. I said, have you? He said, no. I wonder why they're so popular. They continue to make amnesia movies. Why do people relate to them? I think because we know how easy it is to forget, how hard it is to remember. Remember is remembering. It's looking back and putting all the disparate events and pieces back together. Remembering. Forgetting is easy. Remembering is hard. Our passage today records God's instructions to Moses. Telling the people how to remember. 
God wants them to remember what God has done for them in the past so that it can propel them into the future. Up to this point, let me give you just a brief overview of Israelite history. In Genesis 12, God comes down to the land of Ur and calls Abraham and Sarah out and makes a covenant with them. He says, I will bless you so that you can bless the world. God makes that covenant commitment to them. He commits again to Jacob, to Isaac. Eventually, when Jacob comes along, Jacob has 12 sons, and the second youngest is a guy named Joseph. His brothers sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt through a circuitous set of events that you can follow on on your own. There's a famine in the land, and Joseph finds himself as the right-hand man to Pharaoh. He's responsible for when the famine comes to store food and to take care of the people. Jacob and his sons need help, and so they come to Egypt hearing that this is a place you can get food. And they're reunited with Joseph. And rather than Joseph bring up his grievances, his grudges against his brothers, he says, what you guys meant for harm, God meant for good. Jacob's family is saved. All of Egypt is saved. 400 years goes by, and Pharaoh and the Egyptians forget what Joseph Joseph had done. In fact, the Hebrew people are then enslaved in bitter captivity, into bondage. Exodus 2 says this, After a long time the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh, died. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out, Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. God remembers God's commitment to them. And in remembering, God promises to be faithful into the future. There's a spiritual symmetry here. That just as God remembers the people of Israel, so now the people of Israel are called to remember what God has done. Most of their failures in the future will come from the Israelites forgetting who they are. Forgetting what God has done for them. When they fail, it's usually because they fail to remember. And here we see God gives specific instructions about how to remember. And when we're thinking about remembering, I think it's helpful to ask the reporters questions. Who, what, when, why, how? First, what are they called to remember? God instructs the Israelites to remember the ten plagues that he sent on the Egyptians. That he invoked to force Pharaoh's hand to let them go, to free them. One of the questions that always confronts people when they read about the plagues is, are we remembering an actual event in history or is this just a myth or a legend? And there's a range of perspectives to address this question. On one end of the spectrum, you have kind of what we might call the minimalist approach. This is the belief that this is just a legend that was written down hundreds of years after by the people of Israel. There's little grounding in history. 
On the other end of the spectrum, there's the maximalist approach. This approach says, this is exactly how it happened in history. This is how it happened. This is grounded in history. It happens the way Exodus says it did. There's a lot of theories out there. One of the theories that I think is probably the best is that heavy rains fell in July and August at the, in the source regions for the Nile River, caused massive flooding. That flooding brought red earth down, turned the, the waters red, first plague. Eventually, it caused the fish to die, and this created a breeding ground for disease. The heavy rains also caused insects to bring the Bacillus anthrax bacterium in, which causes the anthrax infection. Came on, infected the frogs. The frogs mass migrated up onto land. They took the infection with them, killing the plants and leading to the death of the livestock, which would be plague five. In the third and the fourth plague, gnats and flies overbreed because of the flooding and they bite people's skin, causing boils, which is the sixth plague. The seventh plague is when hail falls on the crops. The eighth plague, or when locusts come down from East Sudan move up the Red Sea into the northern upper regions of Egypt. The ninth plague comes when heavy storms come in March and April, whipping up the red earth, and it causes a dense darkness, which is the ninth plague. And then the tenth plague falls on the firstborn, who are often charged with taking care of the livestock. And some scholars say they contacted infection, causing them to be disproportionately affected and die. There are similar theories that begin with a volcano that occurred in the 17th century BCE. There was the impact of red algae, climate change. People have spent their whole lives coming up with theories about the plagues. You could spend the rest of your life reading about it. But I take theologian Robert Jensen's advice that he begins with his discussion of the Exodus in his fantastic book, A Theology and Outline. Here's what he says. The Old Testament tells Israel's story as Israel remembered it. The historical memory of a people or of an individual is built up and reshaped as time goes by. Previously unnoticed events register in light of new events. Old events are seen differently in light of new events. And this goes on and on as long as people or an individual lives. Israel's historical memory of itself was built up, reshaped, and handed on. It was handed on this way for almost 2,000 years. Personally, he says, I am always more inclined to trust in an ancient people's own account of themselves than what modern critical scholars may dream up as a replacement for them. See that? He kind of shades the modern critical scholar. <laughs> what are you saying? Wherever you, you fall in the spectrum of historicity, Israel is told to remember their past in this way. Remember in this way. The second reporter's question, who? Who are the actors in the story? Well, you have clearly the villain who is Pharaoh. You have Moses and Aaron representatives that are coming to liberate the people, but then you have the prime mover in the story who is God. I had an Old Testament professor, probably one of the more significant Old Testament professors in the country, and he said this. He gave me just a really lovely hermeneutical rule. 
said if you're reading the Old Testament and you come up with a hero other than God, you need to go back and reread the story. God is the prime mover, the prime hero in history. And so when are they supposed to remember this story? Verse 2, this month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the 10th of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. God resets the calendar the very calendar by which they live so that the rest of the year they're living in light of what God has done in their past. They remember and it reorients and reorders their life together. They celebrate the Passover meal to set the trajectory of the rest of the year. Till this day, observant Jews still practice the Passover to remember what God had done. But the two most significant questions are how to remember and then why to remember. See, God instructs them to use physical and sensory reminders yearly in the Passover meal to remember this seminal event in Israelite history. God tells them to eat unleavened bread. Remember that you didn't have time to wait for the yeast to rise. Wear sandals when you eat it. Remember, you're going to be on the run. Eat bitter herbs so you remember how bitter the experience of slavery was. You will be tempted to forget. Never forget. Remember what God has done for you. And why are you called to remember? Because when you look back on your past, you remember what God has done in your past to save you. And in remembering the past, it will come forward and propel you into the future. It will give you faith for the future. Reorient your life. A curious thing happened in the New Testament as the early Christians began to tell the story and the life of Jesus. They told it self-consciously against the backdrop of Passover. In the Gospel of John, remember when John the Baptist announces that Jesus is coming. When he comes on the scene in John, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying, remember that Passover lamb that we celebrate and eat every year? Now a greater lamb has come who's come to take away the sin, not just of Israel, but of the world. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, also tell the story that Jesus celebrates the Passover meal with his followers. That Jesus dies that weekend of Passover so that you cannot miss the fact that one greater than just a little lamb is here, but that the God of the universe has come in human flesh to take away the sin of the world. In the book of Hebrews, this great letter, in Hebrews 12, the writer begins to lay out all of these great heroes and sheroes of the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, Moses and Aaron. Some people call it the hall of faith. It's like the Mount Rushmore of these great people in Israelite history, and he's laying them out. He's laying them out, and he says, Their lives, this tradition, our memories that we remember culminates in what God has done in Jesus Christ. And he says this, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these are these saints that have gone before us, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that, here's the why, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. Why do you remember what Jesus has done? So you will not grow weary or lose heart. What we remember changes us in the present moment. We are certain to have memories. The question is, what will we choose to remember? What will be at the center of our lives? William Faulkner once said, the past is never dead, it's not even past. It's with us, and so we must remember our past and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And if we put that certainty at the center of our memories, it can change our present moment. Well, I started the sermon with a horrible memory of my forgetfulness, and I don't want to leave you with bad memories. So after I missed the exam, uh, I begged the professor to let me take it. And he said, okay. And so he took me to his office and let me take the exam while he watched me over my shoulder. With a combination of anger and frustration at myself and nervousness with him looking over my shoulder, I bombed the exam. I have terrible memories of that day. And I remember it after a while I went into his office hours and I begged him, let me do extra work. Give me some extra credit. Let me retake the exam. Let me wash your car. I'll shine your shoes. Let me do anything. I cannot fail this course. He says, well, if you do well on the final, I'll weight it a little heavier on your final grade. I said, great. And so I studied my tail off. I was like, Einstein, watch out. Here I come. And thank goodness I did well enough, graduated from college, and now I'm here. But when it comes to your life, what do you remember? Let us not get caught remembering our own sins and our own failures. Let us not get trapped in remembering those folks we have grievances and grudges against. Let us not get consigned to remembering the slavery to sin that we were once in. But let us Remember what God has done in Jesus Christ, that the God who raised Israel out of Egypt has raised Jesus from the dead and now offers us love, forgiveness, and freedom so that we will not grow weary, so that we will not lose heart. This is a certainty. We will have memories. The question is, what will we remember? Let us put what God has done for us in Jesus Christ at the center. Let's not forget that. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for what you have done for us. May we put that center of our lives and may we let it not just sit in the past, but may it transform our present moment. Let us not grow weary or lose heart. In your name we pray. Amen.
You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.